I'm spiritual, but not religious. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? The spiritual but not religious crowd is on the rise in Western culture, especially here in the United States. Many of those that identify as spiritual but not religious were formerly both religious and spiritual. They generally identify as more liberal or moderate in their political perspective, and they are more likely to be a baby boomer, born between 1946 and 1964, or a Gen Xer born between 1964 and 1979. You may be asking, what exactly does it mean to even be spiritual but not religious? And that is really a good question. For the most part, those that refer to themselves as spiritual but not religious are those that consider themselves to be spiritual, but they say that their religious faith is not very important in their life, or it is no longer important in their life. The spiritual but not religious feel that there is something bigger. They believe in transcendence, the existence of something or the experience of something that is beyond material or physical reality. But while they might believe in transcendent realities, they have checked out of organized religion. They are no longer affiliated with a church or a religious or faith group, but they believe that there is something more to the universe, something more to life, and potentially that there is an afterlife. According to a 2017 poll, the spiritual but not religious crowd said that they believe in the possibility of there being something more to reality than pure matter. But 93% haven't been to a religious service in the past six months. Now that was 2017. Imagine what those numbers would probably be like now after 13 months of shutdowns and church closures. As of June, 2020, just 10 weeks into the shutdowns here in the United States, the same research group that studied the spiritual but not religious crowd in 2017, it's a group called Barna Research, they found just 10 weeks into the shutdowns, they found that nearly half of American churchgoers, 48%, had not engaged with their church online in the previous four Sundays. Think about that. That's after only 10 weeks off. 10 weeks of not going to church and 48% of churchgoers were effectively no longer connected to a church. Now, researchers suggest that to develop a new pattern or a new habit in your life, it only takes 42 days, six weeks. And so people habituated themselves into no longer going to church. So that segment of people that were no longer going to church or connected with their church in any substantial way after 10 weeks in June of 2020, that segment might now identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated. Researchers on this topic, they call that group the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. So this is a rising group of people in the United States that has been showing up in a lot of demographic studies where they identify themselves as not religiously affiliated. So they're called the nuns. Or this same group would often refer to themselves as spiritual but not religious. 
maybe you saw reported in the news just a few weeks ago from the Gallup polling agency. They found that in recent studies, as of March 29th of this year, United States church membership fell below the majority for the first time in their research. According to the study, church membership among adults in America had dropped to 47% in 2020. 20 years prior to that, in the year 2000, that same poll was conducted and they found that 70% of adults in the United States of America were attending a church. They were connected to regular church attendance. That is a phenomenal drop in 20 years to go from 70% to 47%. But I would suggest to you that many of those adults, those that no longer go to church, they probably still believe in something transcendent. They still might even say that they believe in God. Perhaps they would say that they believe many good things about Jesus. They are the nuns. They are the spiritual but not religious. I bring all of this up this morning for this very important point. Human beings are born believers. Unlike what some social scientists try to sell us, we are born with an innate religious orientation. We're not born atheists. We're not born unbelievers. We are not, as many people would say, socialized into faith or belief in God. Cognitive anthropology and psychology continue to show in their research that we are inclined, as human beings, we are inclined to believe in God. Why is that? Because, as I said, we are born believers. The wise King Solomon of Israel, 3,000 years ago, he observed this very thing in his book Ecclesiastes. He observed that God created all of us with an awareness of the eternal. That is, that every one of us are born with an awareness that there is something beyond space and time. And that reality is placed in our hearts. He said it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. The there in that passage is us. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity in our hearts. Currently, we are returning to a familiar theme for those who call Cross Connection Church their home church. We're talking about our purpose and mission as a church. What is our vision as a gathering of Christians? Well, if you are a part of this church, you've followed along with Cross Connection for any length of time, you know very clearly that our vision here at Cross Connection is life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. I talked a little bit about this last week. I talk about this frequently. Our other pastors on staff talk about it all the, way, all the time as well. Our vision is life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. And this point that we are born believers is an important aspect of our vision. This is an important aspect of our vision because we were created by God to live in connection with God. Genesis chapter 1 reveals this as we open to the very first book of the Bible and the very first chapter of the very first book. We read these words in Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, a familiar passage if you've ever opened the Bible before. There we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then moving down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God, from the very beginning, created all things and made man, male and female. And he made us in his image and likeness. Notice in the verse, which theologically speaking is an essential verse, that we read that God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who is God speaking to in this passage when he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness? Virtually all scholars and theologians agree. This is a conversation within what we call the Trinity, what is something referred to as the Godhead. The doctrine of the Trinity is perhaps one of the most difficult doctrines of theology to grasp and even to explain. And unfortunately for you, or perhaps maybe fortunately for you, I'm not going to spend my time today unpacking or explaining the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm simply going to say that when theologians talk about God, the triune God, they talk about a perfect communion or a perfect community of three in one. God is one God. We had been studying through the book of Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy 6, we read those words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So the Lord our God is one Lord. God is one. And yet God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united together as one God. Now again, this is a challenging thing to wrap your mind around and to explain. And you could be worthy of a pardon if you have a difficult time fully wrapping your head around the nature of God. But as I said, it's not my aim today to spend a lot of time on this topic. There'll be time for that at another time. God is a perfect communion or community. And when he created man, male and female, he created us in his image and likeness. And he created us to be one with him. God's desire is that we would be united as one with him. We were created by God to live in connection with God. And we'll look a bit more at this creation in God's image and likeness next time, because not only were we created for life in connection with God, but we were made to be united in connection with one another as well. This is why God in making us in his image and likeness, he made man and woman for the purpose that the two, man and woman, that they would be united. They would be joined together as one flesh. Two individuals would become one flesh, united together under a covenant, the covenant of marriage. This becomes really important as you study through the scriptures because you're going to see that this idea of divided or separated individuals united together in covenant relationship shows up quite a bit in the scriptures, not just 
in marriage. This is what happens in marriage, but this is also what happens in salvation. We'll get more on that as we go through these studies about life and connection. We were created by God to live in connection with God, but there's a problem. And even if you weren't familiar with this concept or with this story, you kind of had to expect that there would be a but in this whole thing. God created us to live life in perfect communion with him in the same way that there is perfect connection and perfect communion within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. I hope that you've read some of the Bible and I hope that you have at least read the first book of the Bible or at least the first few chapters of the first book. Genesis chapters one and two tell us the story of creation. And Genesis three gives us the very important next major event after creation, which is, I believe, the answer for all of us as to why there is evil and brokenness division, suffering, and death in the world. I think a lot of people wrestle with this. In fact, I was listening to a conversation this last week with a Catholic bishop and an atheist talking about this exact thing. And the atheist was basically saying that his biggest issue with the idea of God, the Bible, and Christianity is this issue of suffering and pain. So we all wrestle with this. In Genesis chapter two, as God was creating, he made a garden, a garden called Eden. and as he did, we read this back in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then in Genesis chapter 3, we read these words. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. Our disobedience to God's command brought evil, brokenness, division, suffering, and death into the world, and many other horrible things as well. Disease. All the fallenness of creation is bound up in this fall here in Genesis chapter 3. God created us to live life in connection with him. We were made for perfect communion and community with God in oneness with him. But sin, our missing the mark of, of righteousness by our disobedience, our sin broke the connection. And sin has brought division, separation, and death. And Death is the ultimate separation. And later in the Bible, especially when you get to the very last book of the Bible, 
we read about the second death, which is eternal separation um, from God, from all that is good. All of this is the result of sin and disobedience. In the New Testament, we see the progression of this sin and its effect on humanity. When we read these words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5, at verse 12, Paul says there in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. At the end of Genesis 3, after God spoke to Adam, the first man, and his wife Eve about the curse that would befall them because of sin, Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden. They were disconnected from God. Now, at the beginning of this talk, I said that the spiritual but not religious crowd, they believe in something transcendent. And I said that cognitive anthropologists and psychologists continue to show this is true in their research. We are inclined to believe in God and we are born believers. And this harkens back to this text in Genesis chapter three. We were created for connection with God and we lost it because of sin and we can't help but long for it. C.S. Lewis, the author of the great Chronicles of Narnia, my, my eight-year-old daughter is reading through them right now. Lewis wrote a nonfiction book. It's one of my favorite books. It's called Mere Christianity. And on page 136 of Mere Christianity, Lewis writes these words. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You have a desire to live life in connection with something transcendent, with God, in perfect communion, harmony, and oneness with him. Why do you have that desire? Why does every human in every culture default towards religious or spiritual expression? Because we were made for it. But how do we get it? The spiritual but not religious crowd is seeking for transcendent experiences, but they're not religious. They're those who have rejected the church and Christianity. They have separated from any affiliation with a faith group. Why have they rejected Christianity or the church? Well, some of them will say things like, because the church didn't provide adequate answers for my deep questions. They might feel that the church hurt them or someone within the church hurt them or someone that was a Christian hurt them. They might feel that Christians have promulgated hate against certain groups of people. They may have seen the scandalous and horrible things done by individuals within the institution of the church. They might feel that the church didn't actually do what it was purposed by God to do. It didn't actually provide people with that connection to transcendence. Maybe none of those things are true. Maybe all of those things are true. But these are some of the reasons that the spiritual but not religious crowd has given for why they've given up on institutional Christianity. But even if they've given up on the church or Christianity, the spiritual but not religious crowd is still seeking for transcendence and they're trying to find it. They, they try to find it in nature. They try to find it in physical betterment. Think CrossFit 
or physical mastery, think sport or meditation or yoga or martial arts. They try to experience transcendence through breathing exercises, through psychedelics, uh, psychoactive hallucinogenics. That's happening more and more in our culture. People try to get to it through fasting or by strange diets or any number of physical things. Understand that none of this is new. It is just the rebranding of the same old things that people have done for millennia to try to recapture a connection with the divine, with God, with transcendence. Each of these things are fundamentally religious. They may not take place in basilicas, cathedrals, churches, or temples, but they are completely religious activities. They're not sacred, they're non-religious religions, but non-religious religions are cheap substitutes for true communion with God. None of these things will suffice. They might bring someone a, a feeling of transcendence, an experience of some sort of this, this feeling that, wow, I came in touch with something bigger than me. Someone stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon or jumps out of an airplane and does the wingsuit thing. And they, they feel that they've come in contact with something bigger than them. So these things might make them feel an experience of transcendence, but they will never satisfy humanity's desire for true communion with God. They cannot restore that connection. They cannot bring reconciliation. So that begs the question, how can we repair this breach? Well, I hate to do this to you, but to answer that question, you're going to have to join with us next time because I don't have time to jump into it because it's quite a big explanation. So make sure you turn, tune in with us next week as we consider to think about these things. We were created for connection with God, but that connection was broken as a result of sin and disobedience. And we desire, we, we long for getting back into connection with, with God, with something divine. How can we make that a reality? Well, that's where we're going next week. So make sure you join with us next Sunday. Father God, I pray that you would give us a, a deep desire, longing, and yearning in our hearts to connect with you. We already have that, but would you amplify that? I know that these videos are, they're watched by people who are a part of our church, but they're sent to many other people who are not connected to Cross Connection or not connected to any church. And so I pray God that whoever this video finds, whoever watches this, that you would use it to draw them to a place where they are desiring to connect with you. And Lord, that you said, if we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open to us. And if we ask, it'll be given to us. And so Lord, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts to be those who are seeking and asking and knocking. Because if we're looking for true connection to the vine, if, to, to that which is divine, then we're only gonna find it in you because you are the only true God. So God, would you, place that longing in people's hearts that they would seek for you and that they would find in you the satisfaction of these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>